We make a shift in our uh, sermon series in Proverbs today. Uh, we've been looking at wisdom, defining it, contrasting it to folly. Uh, but this morning and for the next five weeks, we're going we're gonna to apply wisdom. So we're going to look at what happens when wisdom hits the street in your lives and in, in the different areas of your life. And we're going to start. And what you'll notice over the next five weeks is, because this is where we're at in the book of Proverbs, is there's going to be um, little Proverbs that we're going to look at throughout Proverbs. And so at the top of your sermon guide, you'll see them listed um, as we work through them, but it'll feel a little bit different as we hop around in Proverbs and look um, somewhat topically, because that's how Proverbs tends to be arranged the latter half, at these different areas of life and how wisdom applies to these areas. So today we look at words. Comes from various chapters in Proverbs. The first is Proverbs 18.21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Proverbs 12:18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrust, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 15:4. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Proverbs 25:15. With patience a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue will break a bone. Proverbs 16:23. The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Proverbs 10:19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Proverbs 18:23. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Proverbs 4:24. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Proverbs 26, 28, a lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Proverbs eleven thirteen, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. I want you to imagine that somebody comes to you and uh, gives you 16,000 of their dollars and says to you, I want you to take this money and I want you to manage it for me. So in essence, you, you, you serve kind of as a financial manager or advisor of this $16,000. Now, what would your first question be? Maybe, first of all, it's, you're crazy. Don't trust me with your money. But what your question would be, okay, how do you want me to spend it or invest it or save it or, you know, I need to know what your interests are for this $16,000 so that I can steward it well and manage it well for you. We speak on average 16,000 words per day. And those words that we speak are a gift of speech that comes from our creator, God. And the question is, what words do we choose to say in a day? Uh, how do we steward our words wisely? Now, why is this a worthy question to ask? Well, it's because of what we read in Proverbs 18.21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. The reason why it's a worthy question is because of what the word says, that death and life are in the power of the tongue, in the power of your words. Uh, James addresses this in chapter three of his book, and he says this, the tongue is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. 
With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. Right? So the, the, the tongue has the power to bless. The tongue has the power to curse. The tongue has the power to bring life. The tongue has the power to bring death. So how are we to steward our words wisely? First, we need to understand that, that words bring life. That words bring life, and they bring life in primarily two ways that we see here in the Proverbs. In the power to heal and in the power to change. First, in the power to heal. Words having the power to heal, Proverbs 12, 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 15, 4. A gentle tongue is a tree of life. That's, that's Garden of Eden imagery there, Genesis 1 and 2. But perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Do you remember that, uh, that little phrase on the school playground growing up? Right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt. That's about as far from biblical truth as possible. I mean, ask a, uh, ask a professional Christian counselor if that phrase is true, as they receive people day after day who have been damaged, who have been wounded by words that were spoken to them decades, years ago, maybe by a parent, a mom, a mom or a dad, or, or a coach or a teacher, somebody in authority that have spoken harshly or maybe even been verbally abusive. Right? We're gonna get to how words bring death, but the point is, is that words are powerful to bring healing. They're powerful to bring healing. Let, let me give you an example of this by sharing the story of a, a, a couple, a married couple, uh, Ed and Barb, who, who had a daughter named Deb who had cerebral palsy. They were uh, longing and hoping for their daughter to walk one day. And let me just read you the story of, of their account of visiting two different doctors around the condition of their daughter. After performing a battery of tests, the first doctor led Ed and Barb into a small conference room where he bluntly laid out for them what they could expect in a tone that was cold and emotionally disconnected from his patient the doctor said, it is extremely unlikely that your daughter will ever walk. Still in a state of shock from the devastating news, Barb asked, but what kind of shoes should I buy for my daughter? She was thinking about some special corrective shoes or perhaps shoes connected to a brace. Without softening the blow, the doctor retorted, buy her whatever kind of shoes you want. She won't be using them to walk in. And with that, he quickly left the room where Barb burst into tears. Several months later, the family met with a second doctor. This time, the entire scene felt different. Ed said, my wife asked this new doctor essentially the same question she had asked the first one. She was still wondering if there was anything we could do that might enable our daughter to take even a few steps. 
The doctor paused for a moment thinking. Then he looked compassionately and directly into Barb's eyes and said, you know what I would do if I were you? I'd buy my daughter the prettiest little pink shoes I could find with purple shoelaces. Barb knew what he meant. Ed said, we talked about our experience on the way home. Both doctors had told us the same thing, that Deb would never walk. I'm ashamed to say what we felt like doing to the first doctor, but we felt like hugging the second doctor. You see, words bring healing, even if it's delivering hard truth. That it's not just what you say that brings healing, but it's how you say it that brings healing. It's the right word in the right way that together have the power to bring healing. Words have the power to heal. Words also have the power to change. They have the power to change. Look at Proverbs 25, 15. With patience, a ruler may be persuaded and a soft tongue will break a bone. Proverbs 16, 23, the heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. James, in chapter 3, compares the tongue to the rudder on a large ship, and he says it this way. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. That words have the power to change someone, to change a situation, to change an injustice, to change the course of history. Right? William Wilberforce, his words to the British Parliament were used by God to abolish the slave trade in a, in a, in a vast majority of the British Empire. Amy Carmichael's words and work were used by God in India to rescue little girls out of forced prostitution and sex trade. Martin Luther King, his words on Washington, in Washington, D.C. were used by God to bring justice on racial inequality in our country. Those are the, 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 the history-changing examples. But the reality is we see it, and you have experienced it in your own very life how words have the power to change. I remember, this was years ago, I was serving at a different church and I was serving as the youth outreach director and we were trying to reach students in this certain public high school and my wife, who was not wife at the time, we weren't even dating, uh, but she was on staff with the youth and she had a wonderful idea. She said, why don't we, because as we had gotten into this high school, there were, there were bands, all kinds of bands that played music, and the and people would come together, and they would go to these competitions, and she said, why don't we have a battle of the bands at our church and bring them in? And so we ran with it, and we got these, these high school bands from the high school. Uh, these weren't Christian bands. They weren't singing Christian songs. They had to submit what they were going to sing at this competition so we could look at the lyrics. But we were bringing them in to love them, to share the gospel, to try to reach them. Well, as we approached the, the Friday night battle of the bands that was going to take place in the youth center, uh, the word had gotten out to elders in the church, and there were some concerns about what was happening. 
And so they called me in to a session meeting and they, they wanted me to explain this event and to explain the vision behind it, what was gonna exactly happen at this event. And so I did, I came in and I explained it to probably 20 or 30 men. And then they started to talk amongst themselves and, and there, were, um, there were questions and there were, there were concerns and, and they, were, they were talking back and forth. Even, you know, it was somewhat of a concern that were they gonna allow this to continue a couple days later? And I'll never forget it. One of the elders spoke up with a firm voice and with great passion and with tears streaming down his face, he looked at his brothers and he said, men, we can sit here all night and split hairs or we can get up right now and we can walk over to this youth center that we have and we can get on our knees and we can begin praying for the hundreds of non-believing high school students who are gonna show up here on Friday night. That was it. It was like a pin drop. And immediately this entire room of men were cut to the heart and they got up and they walked over to the youth center and they began praying and covering the room in prayer for what was gonna happen in a couple days. Words, words have the power to change. Words have the power to heal. And you say, why? It's because we're made in the image of God whose words are powerful. You remember Genesis 1 and 2? How did God create this world that we're in? By his word, right? He spoke and it came into being. So then he, he spoke mankind into being, Adam and Eve, and he said, you're created in my image. And that meant that as image bearers, their words had power. And so Adam in the garden had the power through his words to what? Name the animals. It's an example of it. The animals were brought before Adam and he spoke the word that that animal was gonna be named and that was it. Now, that's Genesis 1 and 2. Then Genesis 3 comes and we live post-Genesis 3. So words have the power to bring life, but words also have the power to bring death. That's what Proverbs 18.21 tells us. It's what James 3 tells us, that the, the tongue is a restless evil. It's full of deadly poison, that we use it to curse. Now, what does that mean? What is James talking about? What is Proverbs 18.21 talking about? How, what does it look like for the tongue to bring death? What kind of words bring death? First, Rash words, and by rash, I mean uh, impulsive, not well thought out, right? Rash, impulsive words. Proverbs ten nineteen. when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Proverbs eighteen thirteen. if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. This is speaking to a lack of self-control with words. Now, this is incredibly important for us to think about in our culture that places currently a very high value on self-expression versus self-control, right? There's this, this value of self-expression and we have actually made outlets to make that very easy, right? called social media where you can express yourself. 
And I think we're all aware of how rash words on social media increase transgression and increase sin. We've seen characters, people's character maligned. You've seen reputations destroyed. You've seen, you've seen names smeared. You've seen what happens when a rash word gets posted or gets tweeted, right? Uh, that, that just because you feel it doesn't mean that you need to post it. Just because you feel it doesn't mean that you need to say it immediately. That self-control with the words is wise because rash words bring death. Second, what kind of words bring death? Uh, deception or deceptive words. Now, Proverbs 4.24, put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Devious talk, de deceptive talk. Now, when you and I hear that, we immediately think of, of, of lying, just kind of the bold-faced bold lie, and that, that certainly falls underneath deceptive talk. Uh, but deceptive talk, deceptive means it comes across one way, but the truth is really something different. That, that one of the common ways that we fall into deception is when we, we twist the truth, right? or, we, or we hide the truth or we, we, we withhold information, right? Uh, I remember back in, I think it was 2001, uh, George, George O'Leary was hired to be the head football coach at Notre Dame. And, you know, Notre Dame's prestigious institution, a great move for his career, George O'Leary, and, and five days after he's hired, it comes out that there were inaccuracies on his resume about his education, about his athletic career, and so they immediately fired him. He was the head coach of Notre Dame for five days, five whopping days. Uh, and Mark Bradley, who was a sports writer for the Atlanta Journal and Constitution, he, he wrote this after this all came surfaced. O'Leary should stand as a sobering cautionary tale for the rest of us, as easy and convenient as a lie may be. And I would add there, as easy and convenient as a Minor twist on the truth, maybe, or a, or, or, a, or a hiding the truth, just holding something back. He says, it carries a hidden cost, right? Whether it's embellishing your story and your experience on a resume, or whether it's, it's purposefully withholding information from somebody, right? You haven't lied, but you've withheld information purposely to misrepresent yourself, to make you look better than you really are or to position yourself for something. Or it's just taking the truth and just making a little minor twist that seems not like a big deal, but that is about a motivation to enhance yourself. The, the, the picture here is a, a misrepresentation of who you are. Um, I can tell you that when you put a room full of pastors in a room together at a conference or at a meeting, it's amazing what happens. Suddenly, every pastor's church looks a little bit bigger and a little bit better than it really is. It's a, it's a phenomenal thing, right? What's happening there? It's deception, right? It's twisting the truth. Now, I, you've probably experienced that in the work world, in a conference with business entrepreneurs, in a conference, whatever it is, 
when you get people in a room together, it certainly is easy to start to twist the truth, hide the truth, withhold information, withhold things aren't going well because you want them to think it's going well. That's all, that's deception. And ultimately that leads to death. What kind of words bring death? Third, uh, flattery. Proverbs 26, 28. A lying tongue hates its victims and a flattering mouth works ruin. Now, what's a flattering mouth? What is flattery? Flattery is that, that maybe excessive praise or that encouragement towards someone that's really not genuine, that behind it is a motivation that, to better position yourself or to maybe save the relationship, whatever it may be. You get the idea of what flattery is. Uh, it's, it's, it's an, when there's flattery, there's an atmosphere of pretense. And there's, a, there's actually a, a practice that's fairly commonly known in the, in the medical field that's called mutual pretense. Let me just explain to you what that is, a description of mutual pretense. In many cases, mutual pretense is something that takes place after the period of treatment for a particular patient has run its course and it's become clear to everyone that it's not working and the patient will die. Despite the fact that this dark reality is clearly known by all parties involved, the doctor, the patient, and the family of the patient will often deal with the fact by talking about anything other than the fact that the patient is going to die. In fact, I just had a conversation with a friend who's in the medical field who has experienced this recently. They'll talk about what will happen once they get out of the hospital, what they're gonna do when everything gets better about sports, about family, anything but the truth of the impending death. Mutual pretense is a kind of survival mechanism that allows everyone to continue talking to each other while not having to actually talk about what's going on, like the brute reality of impending death. Now, Mutual pretense is not just in the medical field. Mutual pretense exists in our relationships. It exists in our relationships where, where we, we either flatter or we, we don't tell the truth or we withhold uh, because we're unwilling to face the truth and the reality of what is. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he writes this about, he calls it kindness. It's the same as flattery. Listen to what he says. There is no kindness, or I'll say flattery, more cruel than the kindness which consigns another person to their sin. Flattery, on the surface, it seems life-giving, but behind it is death. What kind of words bring death forth? Gossip and slander. Proverbs eleven thirteen: whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trust trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. Slander and gossip, what is it? Well, gossip and slander is speaking a, a critical or unkind word about someone who's hurt you to another person. It's speaking to another person about someone else who has hurt you and speaking critically of that person. Jesus in Matthew 18, 15 doesn't allow this. He hits it straight on when he says, if your brother sins against you, which means if your brother offends you, if your brother hurts you, if your brother slights you, if, if your sister offends you, 
Go and tell him his fault. Now here's the key, between you and him alone. Not between you and them and him or her, between you and him alone. That when someone's hurt you, you go straight to them to, re- to reconcile. And what's interesting is that this is not just a command that we're not to gossip and slander. It's also a command for the entire community that as a, as a body of Christ, that when you are in a conversation where somebody says to you a critical or unkind word about another person who has hurt them, that you stop them mid-sentence. And you say, has that person hurt you? Has that person offended you? Don't tell me about it. Go talk to that person. There's a responsibility for the community around gossip and slander. So words bring life, words bring death. Now, listen, if we stopped here, I just gave you a wonderful sermon on moralism. Here's what you do. Here's how you speak. Here's how you don't speak. Now go do it. The problem is that if you left now, there's, there's no power. You have no power to resist saying or speaking words that bring death. And that's because words reveal the heart. Words reveal the heart. Jesus says it in Matthew or in Luke 6:45. He says, "The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good, and the evil person, out of the evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks." And what Jesus is saying there is that if you speak it, it comes out of your heart. Then it first originates in your heart. Okay. I just poured water on the stage. It's a tiny amount. It'll dry. We're okay. Why is there not lemonade or Coke on the stage? Because there's not lemonade or Coke in this bottle, right? There's water in the bottle. What Jesus is saying is that when you speak, it comes out of your heart. So even the, I didn't really mean to say that. No, you did. It came out of your heart. That's where it originates, is that your words originate in your heart. And and therefore, our words and how we speak are a great litmus test or evidence of the condition of our heart that if you find yourself uh, speaking words of death, whether it's rash words or deceptive words or gossip and slander or flattery, you know, whatever kind of is where you struggle, if those words are coming out of your mouth, it means that your heart has attached and trusted something or someone other than Jesus Christ. That that's the condition of your heart. Let me give you an example of this. When you speak deceptively or, or twist the truth, we'll use that example. Speaking deceptively or twist the truth. When you do that, you're trying to protect some, something that is dear to your heart. That you can't lose. And so you're willing to, to twist the truth or, or, or speak deceptively to protect it, to keep it. Right? What we're speaking here is of, of false gods and of idols that can, can take control of the heart. So if you twist the truth on your taxes, money has become way too important to you. Right? If you twist the truth on a resume, 
your career has become way too important to you. Right? If you twist the, twist the truth on, on you know, profit numbers or measurables or deliverables at work, success has become way too important to you. See, it's a, it's a litmus test to, to show you the condition of your heart and ultimately to drive you to Jesus. If, if you're one that speaks deceptively or twists truth, in that moment, your heart is screaming and saying, if I don't have this career, if I don't have this job, if I don't have this money, if I don't have this success, I'm gonna die. Right? And so your words will do what it takes to protect it. I'll give you another example. When you speak words of flattery and refuse to speak truth to someone, that relationship has become way too important. Right? If, if you're unwilling to speak truth to somebody, you're unwilling to lose that relationship, you're unwilling to face rejection, right? you, you are, you're worshiping, bowing down to the God of approval. And your heart in that moment, when you, when you flatter, in that, in that moment, your heart's saying, if I lose this relationship, if I lose this person's approval, I cannot live. And so I'll flatter. Or uh, gossip and slander. You know, gossip and slander reveal the insecurity and pride in our hearts. That when we gossip and slander, what we're trying to do is cut somebody else down. And we do that because we have to feel better than that person. Our righteousness, this is self-righteousness, what the Bible talks about with self-righteousness, is that our righteousness has to exceed the person next to us whether it's in the in career, whether it's in being a mom, whether, whatever, whatever righteousness you're trying to build up. And one way to build it up is just to cut somebody else down. That's what gossip and slander does. And your heart in that moment when you gossip and slander, and it, it's, it's tasty and it's tempting, your heart's saying, I have to be better than that person. My righteousness has to exceed that person because if it doesn't, I lose my purpose. How can I go on living? I mean, that's what your heart's saying. And so you gossip or slander. And so the words of your mouth reveal the condition of your heart, and ultimately they drive you, or they should drive you, to Jesus' words. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 2, says this, long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. I mean, I love that. At Many times, in many ways, if you read the Old Testament, God's speaking all the time through this prophet, that prophet. And most of the time, his people are rejecting it, but he's speaking all the time. But in these last days, last days meaning from the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ till he comes again, we live in the last days. This isn't just mean last days that right before Jesus returns. It's the period of time between his death and resurrection and his second coming, first and second coming. But in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son, Jesus Christ, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. That Jesus speaks to us. His words that have power to heal, his words that have power to change, come to us through his word. Now, what does he say to us? He says, by trusting and what I've done for you through my life, death, and resurrection, you have my righteousness. By faith, by trusting what I've done for you, you have my righteousness. You don't have to go build it yourself through gossip and slander. He says, by trusting in what I've done for you through my life, death, and resurrection, 
right? By faith in what I've done for you, you have my approval. You have my acceptance. You don't have to seek anybody else's approval through flattery or through not speaking honestly. Jesus says that by trusting in what I have done for you through my life, death, and resurrection, Jesus says, by faith in me and what I've done for you, you are secure in me. You don't need to build an identity apart from me by twisting the truth, by hiding the truth. And so as we talk about words, the question is this, are you listening to Jesus' words? Are you hearing him? Are you meditating on his word so that your heart, which the Proverbs talk about, is the wellspring of life, meaning that everything you say and do comes out of the heart? Are you hearing Jesus? Are you meditating on his word so that your heart is controlled by him? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is powerful. We thank you for the power of your word that we see in creation. And we confess the truth that we're made in your image, which means we're made such a way that our words are to be powerful. And yet we also confess that we live on this side of Genesis 3 this side of the fall, in the midst of brokenness and sin, where our words don't only have the power to bring life, but they also have the power to bring death. Then Jesus, we thank you for the truth that you came into this world to speak your word into our hearts and that your word is life. And so we pray Jesus, as you died a horrendous death on the cross, when all of the words in, in the course of history, words that brought death, rash words, deceptive words, gossip, slander, flattery, all that we've spoken about, all that was nailed to you, that you would pay for it and that you would cast it as far as the east is from the west, that in you, that we would be a people that have the power to speak words of life to each other and to the community. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us to, to think wisely about how we speak, wisely about the words that we choose, and that our words would come with power by your Spirit to heal people who are hurting, and to bring change to broken situations in our spheres of influence. And as we close in worship, <clears throat> would you incline our hearts as we sing, would this be a, a, a both a, a song of worship and a song of petition that we are pleading with you, God, that our words would be pleasing to you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.